Dear Father, we come, we're thankful for today, we're thankful for uh, this week, we're thankful for a good week, we're thankful for the food and the fellowship that we've already had tonight, we're thankful for the opportunity to study your word, uh, the Bible tonight, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, uh, that you would direct us in it, I pray for our, our classes that are meeting right now, that are studying, uh, I pray that it's your truth uh, that we take in, your truth that, that that's stacked up tonight, and I pray uh, that it bears fruit in our kids and our youth and then us as adults as well. I, I pray again that you're known through it, that you're honored through it, uh, and that your truth, again, is, is stacked in a world uh, that would snatch it away from us. Lord, we tell you we love you and we praise you and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're in a section called, a lesson called More Parables. It is our 82nd lesson uh, as we travel across the, the pages of Scripture uh, we are in a section of the Gospels. Uh, we have been looking at some of the parables of Christ. We looked at uh, what a parable is and why Jesus taught in parables. And then we've looked at several parables since then, uh, applying them from what we've learned about parables. And so again, we're in a section on parables. Tonight, that's going to continue. Uh, our key verses are found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 52. Uh, our key point as, Jesus, as the disciples are growing in their understanding of the kingdom of God, Jesus continues to teach them in parables. Uh, the 13th chapter of Matthew really is just one parable consecutive to another one, all of it teaching on the kingdom of God, all of it explaining uh, the kingdom of God. I'm going to read our verses tonight, and then we'll come back and go piece by piece. So key verses, Matthew 13, starting in verse 44 going all the way to verse 52. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be, verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 51, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. Verse 52, and Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Okay, that's our, our set of verses tonight. Uh, again, Jesus is teaching uh, these disciples what it means that he has come as the Messiah and then what that reveals or what that means about the kingdom of God. Now, as he is teaching that, uh, they are facing some pretty deep questions about what they thought they understood about the Messiah, what they thought they understood about the kingdom of God, and then what they're really seeing. Uh, think about this. They thought all these generations... Uh, the kingdom of God's going to come. And when it does, Israel's going to be back on top. 
and our army's gonna be big and everybody's gonna know about us and we're gonna defeat all of our enemies and we're gonna have a great king and we're gonna celebrate the king the way we used to with David and, and Solomon. He's gonna be a great military leader. They have all of these ideas that have been put in uh, for generations now. Well, Jesus shows up and he's quiet and he's meek. Uh, he hasn't raised up an army. Uh, it's not exactly as they thought it was gonna be. And so they're trying to wrap their heads around uh, the things that he's saying and then reconcile that with what they are expecting of the Messiah. Well, that is a ongoing process. Uh, as they learn, as they grow, it seems new things spring up that are hard to understand. And so really it's, it's a hard process for them. Well, in that, Jesus again uses parables to explain what he's saying. And so one of his teaching techniques, one of the tools that he uses uh, is, is using a parable, something that's easy to understand, something that was common uh, in their life that they might understand the, the idea or the principle that he's teaching. Now, think about that tonight. Here we are. Here we are in a Bible study. Maybe some of you have been uh, for years, 30, 40, 50 years. Maybe some of you all for a couple years. Uh, we're followers of Jesus Christ, and I would, I would hope and I would pray that all of us here have made a decision uh, to trust Christ as our Savior. But think about certain questions about Jesus that somebody might ask us uh, that would be hard for us to explain. And so what if somebody came along and said, uh, was Jesus truly God in the flesh? And we would say, yes. And they would say, well, why does that matter? Why is that important? Maybe we'd have a harder time explaining that. How did that happen? Uh, maybe that would be a harder thing to explain. Uh, why did he have to be a man? Why did he die? Well, to pay for sins. Why was his death necessary? Why was it like this? Uh, it might be harder for us to explain. Was he actually physically, literally resurrected? We would say, yes, that's what a resurrection is. There are some folks that would say, well, no, it was a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't an actual physical resurrection. And someone might say, well, what's the difference? Why does that matter? Um, what promises do we have in Christ? What, what do we have promised to us in Jesus? We have eternal life. We have the forgiveness of our sin. Um, who is the Trinity? Uh, what does it mean that he's the Son and yet he's equally uh, equal to the Father. He is also God. They are God. Explain the Trinity, and we might get uh, sidetracked on that. Well, there's a ton of questions uh, that we might have trouble explaining to someone that were to ask uh, those questions. Well, that's the same way for them. They've trusted Christ. They're following Christ. But as they're learning and as they're growing, there are many questions. Well, Jesus uh, uses these uh, parables to help them understand here, here's a question for us tonight. Do you shy away from some conversations about Jesus because of things you don't understand? Are there some things that you'd rather not talk about? You're, I'm not sure if I can explain that correctly. Uh, the Bible says in the New Testament uh, that we should be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's within us. We ought to be ready to explain the hope that we have in Jesus uh, but but I know I think there's questions that we say, well, I better let somebody else answer that or I might give a, a wrong answer or a goofy answer. Um, I can remember as a younger guy thinking, 
Somebody else will take care of that. Well, somebody else will explain that. Or I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy for that. I, I know what I believe, but I don't want to get into that. Uh, we're supposed to be prepared to explain the things that we believe that we hold true of Christ. Well, this is the same situation. Uh, Jesus is explaining it to them using parables. Uh, in the verses today in Matthew 13, Jesus has been talking to a larger crowd. Uh, after he has talked to the larger crowd, uh, most of those folks have gone a different direction. And then he is now with some of his closer followers. Uh, the Bible says when you read the account in, in Matthew 13 that they've gone into a house. And so he's meeting with a larger group. It says so large he had to get in a boat and stand up to address them. Now they've gone into a house uh, near the Sea of Galilee. And so now understand that the things we're going to talk about tonight, they are with a smaller group, and he is talking to them in, in this much smaller group in this house. All right, first, uh, first section tonight, precious treasure, precious treasure. Verse 44, here we go. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field, all right? He's got his disciples there. He's teaching them about the kingdom. Here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. All right, in verse 44, as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he uses a picture to explain his point. Uh, it's important to understand, I think we need to see it as we look at these parables. A parable uh, is, is a story that's making a point. And so it's not trying to explain 10 things. Sometimes folks will take a parable and it's making this point and they'll pull something else out that it's not trying to say that. Uh, and so a parable is making a point, a central point, and it's trying to help us understand that central point. A parable was never meant to be stretched to say things that it didn't say or that the speaker wasn't trying to say. So I, I want to warn you that some folks will say, well, if this is that, then the, the field is whatever, and they'll make up some uh, different application. The parable is generally making a single point, a point that's meant to be understood and, and we've got to be careful not to say things or apply th imply things that the parable doesn't say. Uh, I, I want to say this. This is going to kind of be kind of weird to you. Um, this parable, the one we're getting ready to look at, actually have two possible interpretations. Now, let me explain that. Um, we are not, most of us, I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody is, we're not proficient in the original language. We're not proficient in the Greek. We're for sure not first century Jews. We're not peasants, uh, fishermen. And so uh, there's something lost when you take this language and bring it forward to us. And so um, they knew what it was saying, but today we're, we're removed 2,000 years. We have the barrier of language. We have the barrier of experience. And so it seems there are two possible understandings of this parable. Now let me explain them both to you. Um, there's one that about 99% of people say this is what it means. If you go look and you go look at commentaries, you go look at sermons, 99% of them are going to say this is what it means and this is the simple meaning. The one that's most predominant says this. 
This man finds a treasure hidden in a field. A treasure has great value. That's why it's called a treasure. It is to be treasured. This man, in an attempt not to lose the treasure or have it stolen away, then hides it again. I went and read some stuff on this. There's not banks in Palestine at this time. There's not a place to put your stuff. And so it was actually a common thing, especially with the threat of, of war and of enemies, to take your money, to take your wealth, and to bury it somewhere. And so we would take the family jewels, the family treasure, uh, any, any money, and we'd go out and we'd bury it somewhere. Sometimes you used to hear about people in the Depression era doing the same thing. We no longer trust the bank. We're going to bury our stuff. And so to us, it seems weird. To them, uh, it was common. This is what you did. You buried your stuff um, so it would be protected. This man, uh, in an attempt to not have it stolen away, he finds a treasure, he's walking along, he hides it again. I think, well, that's kind of weird. Maybe that's devious. It wasn't his and he knew it, but that's not the point of the parable. I think we'd be doing wrong to try to make that the point. He doesn't want to lose it. He doesn't want it to be stolen. He doesn't want it uh, to be missing. So he puts it back, hides it again, and then he goes about the business of securing the field. Jewish law, if you bought a crop, you bought the things in the crop. Uh, I read that if you were to pick a, a wheat crop and you were to buy that crop and someone were, was to have dropped their coins in the rows, those coins are yours. That's part of the crop. Jewish law, if you buy a field, everything in the field goes with the field. And so this guy finds a treasure, great value, hides it back, goes and buys the field, and its contents are legally his. Now, I want to point out two things. I don't think there's much uh, variation here in the understanding. First thing is this. To purchase the field and then get the treasure, this man is required to sell everything. And so what that means is the value of the treasure that he has found is worth more than all the things that he has now. And so understand that. It's not just a treasure. It is a great treasure. What he has found is worth more than all the things that he has. And and so he holds nothing in reserve uh, to get that treasure. He doesn't say, well, I'll keep half of this stuff and I'll take the rest and get the treasure. It's his single priority. It is so worthwhile that he trades everything for it. Second thing, notice this. The man does this with great joy. And I, I, when I read that, I think we need to slow down and see that. He doesn't say, I got to get rid of my old car and I love that car and I got to get rid of my wife's stuff and she likes that stuff and I can't believe I've got to do this and I, it's going to cost me all this stuff. He's like, get all the stuff, sell all the stuff. It's worth it. He does it in great joy. And so it shows not only is it the priority, it's a happy trade. He's glad to make the trade. That's a, that's a good deal for him. He's joyful to trade what he has um, for what he's found. Now, let me tell you the two, the two interpretations. One is that that uh, treasure represents the kingdom of God. That's what it says there. And that seeing the value of the kingdom, this person goes and trades everything for it. Now, we know we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by doing something. And so somebody might say, well, that's kind of weird right there. I think it's just making the point. The kingdom of God is worth everything. And we also see the kingdom of God is going to cost us. Uh, The Bible says, 
We're going to take up our cross and follow Christ. The Bible says uh, we have to count the cost. It's going to cost you friendships. It's going to cost you reputation. Uh, it, may, it may cost you a lot of things. But the, the parable is saying this, what it's going to cost you, and it is going to cost you, is going to be small compared to what you're getting in the kingdom of God. So that's, that's one potential understanding. Another understanding, and, and I saw this, out of about 100 explanations, I found that two people held this. But it does sort of make sense. This one would say the man is Jesus, and the treasure uh, are, are, is, is the value of lost people, the world. And so this man sees people and loves people and, 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 and gives to the, the value of the people a great, a great worth, and so he goes and gives everything to secure those people. And there's some folks that say, well, that's what the parable means as well. Jesus certainly does that. He gives all that he has to buy the field. We know, we believe he pays for the sins of the world in his death on the cross. And so, yeah, these two things, there's a high cost of discipleship. There's a high cost to follow Jesus Christ. But that cost is small compared to what we have in the kingdom of God. The second picture is this. Christ sees the value of people. He loves people. The Bible says that. And he gives all to secure um, people that would follow him by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the first picture, all right? The second one is this, a pearl worth having. A pearl worth having. All right, verse 45. Again, here he goes again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, verse 45, the, the, the picture changes a little bit. Instead of a guy that's walking across a field and finds a treasure, uh, this is a jeweler, most likely, who's in the business of selling and retailing jewels. Uh, this merchant is looking for expensive pearls, actively looking for expensive pearls um, of great worth. Verse 46, the merchant comes across finds a pearl of great value, and then he does something very similar to the guy that finds the treasure. He goes and sells all that he has to buy the pearl uh, that he would hold it as the merchant. Again, notice here, nothing is held back. Now notice here, there's no backup plan. Now, well, we'll try this, and if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll go a different route. Now, the pearl is deemed worthy of absolutely everything the merchant has. All right, two applications, the exact same thing. First is this. There is a cost with following Jesus. Uh, there is a cost to be a disciple of Christ. The Bible's very clear in that. Um, a question is this. Are we willing to pay the cost of following Christ? Uh, I think there's a point here that Neither one of those examples does a person say, I'm halfway in. I'm partway in. I've got a backup plan. If this doesn't work, I've got, uh, the, the pearl doesn't sell, I've got some gold rings and I'll, I'll be okay on those. I think there's a point to, to see here and that is this. It is costly to follow Jesus Christ. Are we committed to Christ enough to say, you know what, the things of the world, the priorities of the world are gonna pair and compare, pale in comparison and I'm going to totally follow Jesus Christ. Being a citizen of the kingdom of God 
is a treasure worth any and all costs. Here's a question. Do we really believe that? And I think we would say, yes, I really believe that. But then we say, but I still need some of these things that the world offers. But I don't want to let go of this hope. Well, I, I want to still do part of these things. Um, guess what? It is costly to follow Christ, but, but the values far exceeds the cost. Second picture is the exact same as, the, as the, the discrepancy in the first one, and that is this. It could be talking about Jesus again, and he sees people, and he, and he, and he sees them as a great treasure. Uh, and for the joy set before him is what the book of Galatians says. He goes and he holds nothing back, and he, and he purchases, us, purchases us on the, the cross of Calvary. All right, so there's two potential interpretations Two potential understandings. I don't know that I've ever heard that taught. When I see it, I go, I, I, that makes sense to me. And I sit there and go, why didn't Christ explain it the way he did the other two so we know? And I think, you know, he tells them, the tares and the wheat, let me tell you what it means. He does explain it. Why doesn't he tell us like that? And the best I can do is say this. Maybe he wants it up in the air for us. Maybe he wants us to see the cost to follow Christ is high, but the kingdom of God is a treasure. Maybe he wants us to see the love of Christ is great, and he sees you as a treasure and dies on the cross. And I start thinking about that. Isn't that both sides of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what? He does love you, and he does know you, and he does pay for your price, dying uh, to, to purchase you back, half the gospel. But you know what? When you do that, uh, the Bible says the world's going to hate you. You're going to become an enemy of the world. It's going to be costly for you. You're going to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Isn't that the flip side of the same picture? It is costly to be a disciple, but Christ loves us, and we walk in his example, and he held nothing back to purchase us. All right, the next part, a fishing tale, a fishing tale. All right, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into a sea. Now, there are several kinds of nets that they use. This one was cast out and pulled in. And gathering fish of every kind. Uh, there were traps that were specific for what they caught. Uh, there's bait that's specific for what you're trying to catch. But then there's a net. You chunk the net in and drag the net, and what you get in the net is what you get in the net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. They pull it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. That's the picture. They would have understood this. So it will be at the end of the age. I think it's very interesting in our study of Revelation, the last month we've passed through this. Now, there is a judgment coming. And those found in Christ uh, will, will be with Christ and they will receive their reward. Those outside of Christ, what does it say? They're going to go to the lake of fire and they will have eternal punishment there. That is exactly this picture. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. That's the judgment in the end days. Verse, verse 48, um, 49 it's a very similar picture to the tares and the wheat. Um, he doesn't say, well, let's get rid of all the, the evildoers right now. Some folks will say, well, why not? That seems smart. 
He says, you know what? I, I desire that all should come to the knowledge of Christ. He's patient and long-suffering, but in the end, the two will be separated. It's a very similar picture here. Uh, in the end, the two are going to be separated. Do not mistake the fact that he's waiting to the end uh, for the truth that he will judge sinners. Some folks say, well, he hasn't done it yet. Uh, seems to be getting worse. He must not be going to do it. Don't mistake the fact that he hasn't done it yet that he's not going to do it. There is a judgment coming in the end time. That's the book of Revelation. That's the picture of the tares and the wheat. That is this picture here as well. Let me read 49 again. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. All right, verse 50. And will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, Jesus is very clear um, in Scripture, in this example, of, of the end, the reward for those who follow him. Those that follow him, they're going to find the kingdom of God. They're members, citizens of the kingdom of God. That is a great treasure. But he also is very clear there is a terrible future for those who have not trusted him. That's, that's part of the gospel. For those who haven't trusted Christ as their Savior, haven't claimed him as the remedy for their sin, there is a terrible end coming for those people. There is a movement that I think is trying to make Christ more marketable or maybe make Christ a, 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 a more politically correct picture, and they would say, well, hell's not literal. Well, hell is just um, the, the guilt that you carry around from your sin. I think uh, Oprah Winfrey had some different definition of hell. And so folks are saying, well, God wouldn't do that. A loving God wouldn't do that. Hell is not literal. It's not going to be like that. Or there's a, there's a new a teaching that you can get saved out of hell. When you get there, it's going to be bad. And you go, hey, I'm getting the next ride out of here. I don't like this. If you can get saved out of hell, I think everybody would. Bible says it's appointed for man once to, be, to die and then their judgment. And so all these teachings are just silly. Jesus is teaching here. This is his parable, and so he gets to pick the words. Here's what he says. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping is a word for crying out, wailing. Gnashing of teeth is such suffering that you grind your teeth, you're gnashing your teeth, uh, you're, you're, you're in that much intense suffering. Those are the words that Jesus picks. And so what, what's the kingdom of God like? It's a treasure. And you know what? It's offered to you in a Savior that loves you. But you know what? If you miss it, there is a judgment coming, and that is going to be a terrible, terrible judgment. Jesus makes it very plain from the very start. The kingdom of God is a marvelous thing, and yet it will be missed by those who are in their sin because they've rejected their Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, my favorite part uh, is found here in these last two verses. Uh, when I read these first two verses, I'm cruising through here. Here we are, kingdom of God's like this. In that chapter, it looks like there's five things that the kingdom of God is like. And then you have this weird conclusion. 
And it seems like, well, this is kind of odd. This is a weird way to, to pull it together. It's actually a pretty awesome or maybe beautiful picture of the goodness God has shown us by giving us the word of God. How do we know what it means to be saved? The word of God. How do we know we need a savior? The word of God. How do we know the awesomeness of Christ? The word of God. How do we know of his finished work at Calvary? The word of God. Well, he's going to show us in these two verses uh, how awesome it is that he gives us the word of God. Verse 51. They're sitting in the house. They want him to explain. He lays it all out. He tells them these parables. He says this. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And I think about that. It's probably yes, but man, this is complicated. Or yes, but I might have some problems tomorrow thinking about it again. But they, do you understand this? Jesus asked. They say yes, verse 51. Then verse 52. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe, who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, let me explain that. I think that's a pretty, pretty interesting picture. A scribe was a person who copied the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have copy machines. They didn't have printing presses. Uh, we want to share this with our families. We want to take it to the next town. We want to remember these things. And so a scribe was a person uh, that would actually copy letter by letter, word by word. They would go back and count the letters to make sure it added up the number, count the words. Uh, they would have another person go back over it backwards. It was a very, very detailed thing, preserving, producing, copying the word of God. Now, let me explain this. That had become an industry there were folks that were scribes. Now, understand this, though. A scribe was not a gifting, and so they weren't a prophet. A scribe wasn't a calling. They didn't wake up and say, God has called me to be a scribe, and so I'm going up to the scribe factory to do that. It wasn't a calling. It wasn't a, a gifting. Rather, it was a profession. They handled the Word of God. They copied the Word of God. It was their profession. And they were, they were tasked with copying the Scriptures for other folks to have. All right, now then see the picture. Jesus says, but a scribe, they're not a prophet. They're not a, they have no position. They're, that's a profession. But a scribe who has become a believer is like a person able to unlock treasures for others. Now listen to that. A person that copies the word of God who now is a believer and understands what it's saying is like a person able to unlock the treasures. And so they could say, well, let me tell you who the promised Messiah was in Genesis. Let me tell you who the promise is that's the descendant of Abraham. Let me tell you who the promise is uh, that was made to King David. And they can take the scriptures and they can unlock these, these pictures, these truth, these treasures of scripture. Uh, the new and the old refers to the, new, the Old Testament and then the, the new understanding of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, the picture is this. Imagine a grandfather um, who gathers the family together to show them the treasures that he's collected over his life. And so your grandfather is getting old. He's, he's, he's going to pass on. He calls the family together and he says, look at all these silver dollars I put together. 
Look at these two gold coins I have. And look at these three pocket knives. One of them was my dad's. And they go through the treasures that they have accumulated. Well, this person has the word of God, but now they're a believer and they understand the savior of that word. They're able to unlock treasures as well and say, let me tell you who our hope is. Let me tell you who the Messiah, Christ is, Jesus the Nazarene. And they're able to do that same thing. The word of God holds great treasure uh, in fact, immeasurably, immeasurably more than any other treasure we would have. I, I think about that. Why do we have such a hard time committing to read the Bible? To be consistent in reading the Bible, in studying the Bible. And I, and I, I go, man, we went through Proverbs on Sunday night, and I think, look at how awesome that was. Look at how awesome that was. Uh, on Sunday nights now, we're talking about the nature and the character of God. Look how awesome that is. Tonight, we're talking about these parables by Christ. Look how awesome that is. Why do we have such a hard time saying, I want to read the Bible? I want to be consistent in the Bible. I want to study the Bible. I want to memorize the Bible. And I think for some reason we think, either I've got enough information, I'm saved, or there's something more valuable somewhere else, the TV, the sports game, or some other hobby that we have. We have to get to the point that we understand there is awesome treasure in the Word of God in that it reveals to us the truth of Jesus Christ. I think this, I think as we walk with Christ, that becomes hopefully uh, a thing that increases in us, a desire that, that increases in us. And then I think this, and I'll, I'll stand on this one, and the more you get your mouth knocked in, your teeth kicked in, uh, you start going, you know what, I need an answer because the world doesn't have it and, and the economy doesn't have it and the, the intellectual academics don't have it and I think you'll start searching out God's truth through his word. Uh, I, I truly believe that. It is a treasure. As we leave the topic of parables, this is the last time we talk about parables, um, there is an important thing and, and I think we saw it here tonight and so it's an important tie-in and that is this. How do we interpret Scripture? Um, most of us don't have five, six years to go to seminary. How do we interpret Scripture? Um, just because the guy's in a pulpit, oh boy, don't listen to that. Don't take that as the, the truth. You better check it against the Scripture because there's a lot of knuckleheads uh, in pulpits all over the place. Um, how do you interpret Scripture? How are you supposed to study the Bible and know what it says? Here's what I want to tell you. We saw it tonight in our, in our Bible study. Scripture must be understood and interpreted in context. Um, as I read through chapter 13 of Matthew, I start thinking this several weeks back. How much are we missing because we're not Jewish? How much are we missing because we didn't live in the first century? How much are we missing because we're not fisher, fishermen? And I think, well, see, if I were a fisherman in the first century, I'd understand what he's saying. If I were a Jewish person that knew the law, I'd understand what he's saying. So what are we missing by not being those people, by not having that context? The reality is this. As we study Scripture, we must carefully consider the context. And so here's a, here's a bonus tonight as we wrap up. These parables might have two different understandings. How are you going to know which one God intended for us to know? You're going to have to study Scripture in context. So I, I made four questions for us to think about as we study the Bible. So you're reading the Bible. Um, 
You're considering the Bible. Understand this. To read and study and understand the Bible is work. It requires thought, and it's an effort. Um, I think sometimes we think, I'm just going to go read two verses and see what happens. Um, It's not that easy. God does speak through his word, but it is an effort, and it requires thought, and, and it is work. So here are some questions to ask as we study Scripture. First question is this. Who is speaking in these verses? So you read the verse. I don't care which verse. You're in John. You're in Luke. You're wherever. Who is speaking in these verses? We ought to ask that question. Who is being spoken to in these verses? A lot of times we read what is being spoken and we think, well, that's talking to me. And we we make a misapplication when we think this applies to me. Be still and know that I am God. Isn't that a lot of verses people write on their coffee cups? And Be still and know that I am God. Go read it in context. He's talking to the pagan enemies of God who are fighting against God. And he's saying, shut up for a minute, hold on a minute, and you'll see that I'm God. We take that and say, I think God's telling me to take the day off and be quiet today. Who is God speaking to? Who is being spoken to? Who is the audience? Next question is this. What was happening? What was happening? Be careful of any person, preacher, or yourself who tries to find one verse and build something off that one verse. You could take a piece of a verse and say almost anything, make it match anything. What was happening? How do you know? You got to read the verses ahead of it. You got to read the verses behind it. Maybe you got to read the chapter ahead of it. Maybe you got to read the chapter behind it. Maybe you got to read the book ahead of it and the book after it. Everything happens in context. Be leery of any person, any Bible study or yourself who says, I can take a part of a verse and a verse and make it mean something. What was happening? And then the last question is this. First, who is speaking in these verses? Second, who is being spoken to? Who is the audience? Third, what was happening? What is the context? Fourth question is this. What was the message then? And that is the key to understanding the message now. What was the message then? God's word is living and active. He speaks to us. You, you, I can preach a sermon and some folks will say, how'd you know what was going on in my life? How, why were you talking to me? I always tell the story. I've had two people say, we're not coming back to this church because every time you preach, I feel like you're talking to me. And I think, well, I thought that's what it was about. God's not saying something different now than he said then. What was the message? Now, he may be trying to get you to apply it right now, He may be trying to get you to understand it right now, but the message then is going to be the key to understanding the message now. We have to understand what the message was, figure out what the message was, and that's how we understand the message now. Again, it takes thought, it takes effort. God will bless it, and he will use it. Who is speaking? Who is being spoken to? What was happening? What is the context? What was the message then? That's going to help me understand the message now. That's where we're going to end tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Glad you're here tonight. Let's pray. Dream Father, we come. Uh, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the, 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 t- the truth that you tell us it is costly to follow you, but you also tell us the kingdom of God is worth more than any treasure. 
this earth could offer. I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful that you show us over and over again, especially through the cross, that you love us and you see us and you want to have fellowship with us. And so you go to the cross that sinners will be purchased back from the debt of their sin. Lord, I also know there's a judgment coming and I pray thanking you that I've been saved by faith in you, but also knowing I have good news that somebody else needs. And I pray that we'd be urgent in telling them. And then I pray as we study all of this section that we would see the value of the word of God and we'd be people of the word of God. And I pray this in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Glad you were here tonight.